In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Patrick Verno joins us this week on Money Tales. Patrick found himself in a cush job. The money was great. He was good at the work. And the boss, well, they just didn't see eye to eye. After some time, Patrick was pretty sure he was going to get fired. That turned into the ultimate push to make the leap into a financially risky position of becoming his own boss. The transition was possible as a result of leaning on his wife to carry the family financially during the startup phase. Fortunately for both of them, her career was taking off right at that time. Patrick is now CEO of Emory Leadership Group, where he's a leadership advisor and coach. Patrick is also a fellow podcaster. Be sure to check out his Learning from Leaders show. He's also a keynote speaker, author, and creator of leadership development programs. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three Money Tales conversation topics Patrick brings to life. First, how the mind and mindset is everything. Attitude is all that we can control. Second, the value of resourcefulness. And third, the importance of getting beyond ego and letting those around you provide support to accomplish your dreams. Please stick around after the interview because Cammie and I will leave you with our personal finance tips for managing through a job change. Now, onto our conversation with Patrick Verano. Hi, Money Tales listeners. This is Cammie. Sandy, I have a question for you. Yes, Cammie? Have you had any interesting money conversations lately? I'm always having interesting money conversations. One I had recently was on the pickleball court. My friend Stephen was talking to me about 529 plans. Those are special education savings plans. It was great. He knows a lot. I filled in some details that he didn't know, but he was really proud because he learned about these plans a long time ago. He has a child that's heading off to college in the fall, and he feels very prepared with the money that he saved in that plan, which is great because there's a lot of tax-free savings that has compounded there over the lifetime of this child. So it's a great savings opportunity. It was fun to connect with Stephen on that. I will say I was crushing it on the pickleball court while we were talking. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love you brought this up and that you were talking 529 plans because pickleball is now the thing. I just read an article and it's just taken over. They're converting tennis courts to pickleball courts. I've only played twice, but I'm totally hooked. Every Saturday morning for me, it's a lot of fun. And it was nice to talk money with Steven. This is a good segue because I'm going to ask our guest today if he has ever played pickleball. Patrick Verano, welcome to Money Tales. Thank you. And I have not played pickleball yet. However, we just bought a place in Florida and the place that we purchased, they have pickleball courts. So I've been looking forward to this. I want to play some pickleball. 
I bet you didn't even think it was an asset when you went to purchase this place in Florida, but soon (laughs) you will know it is. That's right. It's addictive. You're going to have a lot of fun. It reminds me of like table tennis on steroids or something like that. Yeah. Much better workout. That's right. So now we know you don't play pickleball yet, but if you could, for our listeners, introduce yourself, give us a couple pivotal moments that influenced you and makes you the person you are today. My name is Patrick Barano. I run a company called Emory Leadership Group. I also host a podcast called Learning from Leaders. Pivotal moments for me that drove me into the field that I'm in. One is I'm the youngest of 10. Oh my. Yeah. So talk about finances, right? (laughs) And I was the last one. There was a lot of paving that was done in terms of my ability to do a lot of things that other siblings didn't do. Let's just say that. I will say the less enjoyable part is that I lost both my parents when I was 17 and 18, both the cancer about a year and a half apart. That really did start to shape very much who I became and what I was doing. Because even though I had a very supportive family, when my dad passed away, I was a freshman at Fordham University down in New York City. Financially, I couldn't afford to be there anymore because there was no savings. There was no retirement that was set up. My dad was a car salesman for his whole life. And I take great pride in saying that. And I wish I had more when he was alive. My company is Emory Leadership Group and his middle name was Emory. And I look back and I hear the stories of people that purchase cars from him and they talk about how honest he was and trusting. And that's not generally a field that those are the words that ring to mind when you think of somebody in sales. And to me, it was a legacy that he provided in terms of how he did things. And my mother didn't work until I was in fifth grade or sixth grade. So now granted, we were lower middle class. We financially struggled, but he did that all on his income, 10 kids. Those are some of the things that were pivotal for me. And growing up in that environment, I was always somebody that was alert of what was going on and reading the environment because I had so many different opportunities to do that with friends that had come over from my siblings and family functions that we would always have. And that really provided me a lot of opportunity, I think, to be curious on how people interact. And even though I went into corporate for a number of years, I always knew that I wanted to become a coach and I wanted to help leaders and organizations become better. So that's really what I do now is I work with organizations to help develop better leaders and develop better teams. What a great story, background. I'm sorry for the loss. That's super challenging. I'd love to understand a little bit more about as you were growing up, were your folks talking about money? Yeah, we were talking about money that we didn't have any. (laughs) Okay. The kids knew we didn't have money. Yeah. We just knew that it was always like that robbing Peter to pay Paul. There was always that type of trying to stay ahead on things. And from a very early age, we had jobs. I was working a job when I was in seventh grade, mowing lawns for an organization Going into high school, there were six boys, four girls. The boys all had to go to a local Jesuit school named Chevris High School. Well, the funny thing is, is that, yes, we had to go to Chevris, but guess what? You had to pay yourself to go there. So I paid for my whole way through high school, private school, through jobs that I worked. And how did that feel to you at the time? Because I imagine you didn't know a different model. Looking back, I can still remember going to the bursar with my coupon. And my cash payment for that month, I was on a monthly payment plan to go in and I would do work study as part of school to try and work off more. And I was with such a good group of individuals that I would have paid anyway. I enjoyed it. Were there times when you were worried that you wouldn't be able to make that month's payment? Not at that point. I was a hustler. I had enough money that it wasn't going to be an issue. Your parents are talking about how there's not enough money. There's money scarcity. You're working hard to pay your way through high school. Tell us what 
money thoughts are forming for you at that very important time of life? I was in a really good place in that I didn't realize how little money we had. Like there weren't things that I wished I had. And I was in an environment with kids that had a lot of money. Certainly I would have liked to have had those things, but it didn't bother me that much. And I never thought we were that poor until later on because we had the essentials. We had a pretty tight family. So very fortunate for that. Let's fast forward to college. There's no longer family support to help you complete your education. What did you do? I was terrible with money. I didn't manage it well. I graduated high school in 87. So I remember being in New York City and getting my first debit card and the process that you had to go through to get this. And then I transferred after my first year because I couldn't afford to be there anymore. I went to an in-state school up at the University of Maine. I remember inserting my ATM card and it not coming back out. That was it. They took it. They cut you off. They basically said, you have abused this enough times. You are not getting this card back. And I was sort of like, wait a minute. I thought this thing just dispensed it whenever. No. So what'd you do? I probably had to bump some money off of somebody. And it probably was for beer is what I was getting my money for up there. So that was my experience for quite a while. Never balanced a checkbook. Always took a glance to see what was in there after that and spent, especially getting out of school early on. I had some credit card debt in the 10,000 range, which if you think about it at that age, is a lot of money. And again, that was one of those that a credit card wasn't real to me. It was just $100 here, $200 there, a spring break trip. It'll get paid back eventually, not realizing that it could be a decade to pay something like that back. When did it become real to you, that kind of debt? When I started having kids. Because financially, I always seemed to pull it off, but it was all of a sudden other expenses came into play and houses. In some ways, it was like I had dumb luck is how I will say it. The first property I bought was an investment property. I bought a three unit. So I was already starting to understand I'm going to leverage this and somebody else is going to pay my rent. And that was a huge benefit. That one property allowed me to do so many more things, to buy other things by leveraging that. At times though, leveraging it too much. This first property that you purchased, was this when you and your wife were having kids? I was 24 when I bought that first property. Oh, wow. Intuitively new. Yeah. That and the way it worked out was financially my income by itself, the job that I had at that point, I couldn't afford a house. So it really was, if I want to have something that I own, a multifamily will allow me to take some of the income from that and apply it toward qualifying as my own income. Who inspired this? You really had this idea? At 24, I was not thinking of owning three units and renting them out. It's fascinating. As I said, I don't think about it in that regard. Like I had this brilliant strategic mind. It was more resourcefulness. I want to own something. I can't buy a single family house. So I know I can buy a three family. And if I could have, I would have bought a four family because that was still under the qualification of a residential mortgage. And I could have got one more rent out of it. This was during the late 2000s. We know what's coming. The financial crisis is coming, but I was in a point where we were flipping houses dipping into the equity in this to buy other places. And luckily we got out of most of those before everything crashed. That was just luck? No. If I think back on that, I was lucky that I liquidated a lot of the stuff, but you could see what was coming. Things didn't make sense anymore. What people were paying for things, they didn't cover the debt service. And I had learned enough about it at that point of like, this doesn't make sense. So these real estate activities are a side hustle from the core work that you were doing over the years. Yeah. Side hustle. Tell us about what was happening within your career as you move out further away from college. 
I ended up getting into the pharmaceutical industry. I was in sales. I did training. So financially, I was in a good place. The money was good. But again, I wasn't a real saver. I will credit my wife. She does the bills in our house now. She's much better at that. If I had to pay a bill right now, it would take a lot for me to navigate that system. And she tells me that. (laughs) For all I know, there are accounts in other nations that I don't even know about. Tell us about meeting your wife and getting financially comfortable. How did that happen? Were you guys talking openly about money from the beginning? Yeah. Money was not something we didn't talk about. Again, she was much better than I was. I was the one that would spend and she would be much more disciplined to this day. On the 15th, all bills get paid. She has a sheet and she sits there and obviously a lot of them are on auto pay right now, but the 15th is the day that all things money leave our account. She's teaching you how to save money. Yeah. For many people, sales is a hard gig. You don't necessarily know what your income is going to be. No, not at all. To me, that was the exciting part of it is I wake up January 1 and it's up to me. I get to figure this thing out. It's not going to be, I'm working to the end of the year and this is all I'm going to make. It was the opposite of that. But there is a lot of stress to it. Starting your business is even more stressful. Yeah. So tell us about that. When did you start Emory Leadership? 2008 was my first go around. I was with a biotech company at that point. I just joined them and they had a buyout. So this is 2008. Give me a month because that was a a big year. May. So things were not quite hitting the fan just yet. But No. So here's the funny thing is that I had a severance of about a year and this was the jump off point for me. I said, you know what? I've always wanted to start my own business. I was involved in sales training and coaching. If ever there's a time, this is it. My wife at this point was at home. She wasn't working anymore because our youngest was one year old. She hadn't worked since our daughter was born in 2004. And we just bought a new house. So a lot of different things going on. And then I'm like, hey, I'm going to start my own business. I've got a year's salary here to make this thing fly. And I feel pretty good about it. Tell us how that conversation went. What was Cindy saying? She was on board because she knew I really had a passion. And I sold her. (laughs) Come October, the market crashes. All of my severance was still in stock. So basically, I went from eight months to about two months of a burn rate. I had an office. I remember walking across the street to a Burger King for lunch and looking at the dollar menu sign and realizing that's what I had. I was going to have one thing on that menu. I immediately went back to my office. I started going back online and networking again to find out how I was going to get back into the pharmaceutical industry, which is what I did. I jumped back in because I knew the market crashed. I was a single vendor People weren't doing training as much. And if they were doing training, they were doing it with big organizations that had a track record, not with Patrick Varano, who basically just hung his shingle out. Wasn't going to fly. What was that like for you? It hurt, but I did it knowing that this is not the end of this. Again, I go back to resourcefulness. I knew I was going to learn from this. I was going to come back and I was going to plot my next exit. And in that meantime, what I did was when I got back into the industry, I took advantage of things like tuition reimbursement. So I got my master's during that period of time. They paid for me to get my master's in organizational leadership. I was good about putting money away into 401k. I was taking advantage of that. I was disciplined in that regard. That was it. Sounds like you had a vision and you were working toward that vision very intentionally. I did. I knew I was going to start my own business again. There was no question. When did you? And tell us the thoughts there. About five years ago, I went back out on my own. It was because I was going to get fired. (laughs) I was working for a manager that he and I did not get along. And I didn't like the way he approached things. I'm not one to hide that feeling, I guess. And we just butted heads. And he put me on a plan. 
January 8th, I had my review. I remember that day. I have it written on my wall in my office. That was the day that I knew this was it. And I left about a month and a half after that because I had my year-end review, which was a terrible review. And I basically said to him, you're trying to work me out of this company. It was the best thing he could have done. It was a gift because he made it uncomfortable for me in a way I needed it to be. I was too comfortable. I was making really good money. I knew I was getting out, but I didn't have an end date at this point. And this put a stake in the ground. This is it. My wife and I were on a short vacation because my birthday was January 10th and she was livid with me. Why? Because she wasn't in a position to pick up what I was making at that point. And rightfully so, looking back on that, we had been through this once before and it fizzled. So there was a lot of nervousness on her part. And I had to say to her, basically, I was going to get fired. So it wasn't like I was just willy-nilly, I'm out of here. That was the moment. And I promised her, this is going to work. I'm going to make this work. Fortunately, she was in a career that her job was taking off. It took the pressure off of me. She carried the load for a number of years and her business continued to take off, which allowed me to ramp up my stuff. Were you having overt money conversations during this two-year period? And if so, how were you having them? No, not to the extent that we should have. And again, that's where she is much more practical than I am. I become much more of an optimist of just, this is going to work out. And I don't know whether it's because of how I grew up that I did see that things worked out. It drives her nuts at times because she's much more practical. That's why we balance each other. She reels me in. In that startup period, part two startup, when Cindy's career is taking off and you're putting Emory Leadership Group together in a very real way, Cindy's carrying the family financially. What were those dynamics like for you? For her, not a problem. We're a team. She basically said, I was doing it a number of those years when she stayed home with the kids and that was what we had chosen to do. There was an ego part for me of, I didn't want to feel as though she had the pressure of, you've got to carry the load for my dream. But she knew how important this was to me. And again, I wasn't going to let this thing die. I was going to make this work. I've been very fortunate. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. In terms of organizations, it's all been through networking. I will say the podcast was very helpful for me as a marketing tool because people got to hear what I was about through those episodes. It was almost like a screening tool. And also, I knew where the needs were. And I was able, based on my background being in sales, to listen really well and deliver what I felt were going to be solutions to what the problems were that the companies I was speaking to were having. And that's worked really well. You're a leadership expert. Yeah. And I don't even like that word. I'm a leadership learner. You're a leadership learner, which is really important. Yeah. It's not easy to be a leader. There's a lot of work that's involved in it. From your perspective, how does money play into leadership? It's funny. We were starting to have this conversation because I said, I think what you talk about is important for what I do. And I just had a meeting with an organization. It was a kickoff meeting for us with their managers around resilience and dealing with stress. And that when people are stressed, they don't make good decisions generally. Money is one of those four things, work, family, health, and finances that causes a lot of stress. If I am a leader and I'm worried about my finances and where things are going, then I'm not going to be fully present for those people that are expecting me to lead the way. There's a strong connection there between the two. If I'm stressed, maybe I'm not listening well, or maybe I'm short-tempered with people. I don't have the patience for them. All of those things come into play as a leader because leadership is about behaving in ways that other people are inspired to go where you're asking them to go. 
think about it from the follower standpoint too. All of the things that have gone on during the pandemic that maybe I have a significant other spouse, whoever that might be, that we share finances and this person is potentially going to lose their job because of shutdowns and furloughs and all of these things or inflation, a number of different things that I don't show up as a worker the same either. If I have all of these things going on at home of not knowing how I'm going to navigate all of these finances that are coming up, it plays in. And as a leader and as a manager, I need to have a way of listening that I listen with empathy to other people, knowing that people are dealing with a lot of stuff. That empathy piece is a commonality among the work that we do and the work that you do. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's important to be empathetic. It's also important to become passionate. From our perspective, when we're working with leaders, those same emotions can wreak havoc on their financial decision-making. It is really important to find that balance. And I like the way you put it together. What I was imagining was the pie work, family, health, money, and making sure everything is in balance to the extent that it can. And when it's not, focusing on the areas and figuring out what is causing that imbalance and what changes can be made. It's huge. And again, those four things come into play so often. 2014, a survey was done and of those four, finances and work were the highest levels of stress. Patrick, I got to bring up something that was probably a very stressful time I think I read on LinkedIn about a health issue you faced. A little over a year ago. Which ties into overall health and I'm sure financially concerned you. Would you talk a little bit about this experience? Yeah. I think it would have been more stressful too if I didn't feel like we had done some things to bolster up our finances. We have a wealth advisor. I have a bookkeeper and a CPA and we've got a will attorney. You know, So we put all those things in place. I have enough insurance on me that if something did happen to me, all the kids, that's not one of those things they're going to have to worry about. Life insurance, to have that, and it's obviously not for you. I'm not enjoying the windfall that's going to happen, but it's such a peace of mind for everybody that's left behind that they don't have to worry about it. That's part of the vision piece, making sure that you know what is your vision, especially for your family and caring for them. I think mentally it was challenging for me in terms of it obviously brings up your own mortality at that point. And somebody that is pretty in tune with trying to take care of themselves, to think that that may have caused this is kind of like, wait a minute, it's not supposed to be that way. I think it helped to ground me even more so in terms of what's really important. It made me more passionate. I had a book I had been working on for almost four years and the thought of, I might not be around if something were to go wrong and this thing has got to come out of me. So I hired a book coach to help me put that together and the book will launch in April of this year. Again, one of those things, I thank AFib for helping me finish a book. To your point in regards to what concerns that had, it didn't from a financial standpoint, only because the pieces were in place. If something were to go wrong, that was already taken care of. If that had not been the case, if there was no life insurance or anything that we had in place, it would have been really stressful because I would have been like, what are we going to do? As a wealth manager, that warms my heart. There's nothing better than to hear a story where people feel prepared, right? Because you're not focusing on the finances. You're focusing on your health and what you need to do to address the situation. Peace of mind, without question. It was peace of mind of knowing that this is stressful enough, but I don't have to worry about the financial end of this, that we've got all the pieces in place on that. Congratulations. We're glad you got through that period. We're excited about the upcoming book. Yeah, thanks. I am as well. 
So Patrick, as we wrap up of our, our conversation, we'd like to ask you, who's your next money conversation going to be with and what's it going to be about? All it takes is getting out on the pickleball court, Patrick. It prompts me to really go back and talk to Cindy, my wife again, deeper about where we are on money together. Sandy's grabbing her heart. I'm grabbing my heart. We're so happy to hear that. That's, <laughs> that's the purpose of Money Tales. And we know your story, Patrick, has really influenced our listeners from hearing all the work you did. You said you're not a brilliant strategic mind. I'd actually challenge that. We all get luck along the way, but you've done some really amazing things and congratulations and good luck with your conversation with Cindy. It sounds like you two have really productive money conversations. I'm excited that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And this has been a joy. I love this stuff. So wishing you guys the best of luck as well. Hey, Sandy, that was just a really great conversation with Patrick. One thing that he touched on was managing through a job change or when he was about to start up his business. Would you talk a little bit more and provide a financial tip around managing through a job change? Sure. And job changes happen all the time in lots of different ways. Sometimes they're by your choice, sometimes they're not. Whatever the situation may be, there's really three things that folks should be thinking about. One is tying up any loose ends with the soon-to-be former employer. So take a look at what benefits are on the table. Be sure to look for any equity compensation that might have some exercise requirements involved. Take a look at your retirement plans that you have with the company and determine if you want to leave them there or if you want to move them into a different retirement plan. Make sure you understand the provisions related to your health insurance and whether there's a need to go on to COBRA to extend health insurance beyond the job while you might be in a transition period to the next job. So that's step number one. Step number two is to develop a vision. Where are you going? Moving into another job? Are you starting a business like Patrick did? Are you taking a gap year? Know what that vision is. Make sure you plan for the cash flow related to that vision. That's really important. When you're in a transition, you want to make sure that you can cover your bills and that you have a plan with resources you've saved up or maybe some of the new earnings coming in from a new job, whatever the case might be. The third step is once you're in that new role, again, whether it's a job you've taken or something you're starting yourself, make sure that you're taking a look at the new benefit structure. If you're a solopreneur, you might be able to create your own retirement plan, making sure you have a plan for carrying on health insurance beyond COBRA if you were on it. Taking stock of where you left off, figuring out your new vision and making that new vision become very clear. Thank you, Sandy. Those are three amazing tips to share with our listeners, Money Tales listeners. We really enjoy having this conversation with Patrick. We hope you enjoyed it as well. As always, we would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Sandy and I always love to hear from you. Please email us at podcasts at Share with us your money stories, or if you have a guest in mind that you hope we would interview, let us know that as well. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.